people have expectations about what the foreign-born population should be able to do or not do when they come to the United States, but we don't always think about what it took for that individual to actually make it here. Unity. 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 Podcast. By Embryo Critchfield, a project by the WKU Talisman. In this episode of Unity Podcast, we have Leda Becker, the international community's liaison for Bowling Green, Kentucky, speaking about her personal journey of becoming an American citizen. So what do you remember about your initial journey to America? I moved to the United States when I was 13 years old, so I remember very well um, the transition. I was very excited to move to the United States. I had always envisioned um, what it would be like to live in America and primarily watching um, movies and TV shows, in particular Saved by the Bell, was one of those TV shows that was very prominent during the early 90s. And so the idea of coming to a, an American high school and, and that quintessential American sweethearts, the Kelly Kapowski or Zach Morris, um, the cheerleaders, we didn't have cheerleaders in Venezuela. So all of that was the initial vision of what I had in my mind what the United States would be like, the big city life, metropolitan cities, museums, amusement parks, Hollywood, Disney World. Um, but that wasn't really reality for me. Um, we moved for, to a small town north of Bowling Green in Warren County uh, called Smith Grove. And the population of Smith Grove was probably less than 2,000 people. And, uh, and so that was a, a pretty big shock to me uh, initially coming into the United States as a teenager. Uh, just, you know, the sheer difference of my expectations, especially I, I came for, from a pretty metropolitan city, a larger city, probably between the size of um, Louisville and Nashville, I would say. And so it was a huge a huge change for me. And what made you all choose the Smith Grove area in particular? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my parents actually went to Western Kentucky University in the mid in the mid seventies. They both obtained their master's degrees. My mom was originally from Tehran, Iran, and my dad was from Venezuela originally. And they met here. Um, they fell in love and they married. And so um, after living in Venezuela for a number of years, my parents got divorced and my mom didn't want to stay in Venezuela. She didn't have any family there. And she happened to have a brother who still remained in uh, the Bowling Green area. And he had opened up a business. It was a pizza place and it was a video rental store at the time when there were VHS tapes. And uh, he offered us the opportunity to come to Smith Grove uh, to help us kind of get uh, off the ground and get started. And my mom was a single mom, and so she wanted to be close to a relative who could help uh, support her and um, help guide her along the way of restarting her life. And did you originally feel a connection with America when you moved here? Uh a connection. I mean, I, I wanted to be here. It was very evident. It was a new adventure. It was a new life. But it was also the realization that um, I was different from everyone else, that I came to a new country. And I, for some reason, I had the expectation that 
people would be just like me. And that wasn't the case. And so even though I felt connected in some way, there was a huge disconnect because I was the first time that I realized that I was a foreigner and what the implications of being a foreigner meant. Do you remember what it felt like when you could finally call America your home? It took it took quite a while, I think, the process of acculturating. I think for the first couple of years, it was very daunting. Um, just the fact that the language was a barrier, was a major barrier for me, um, was um, an incredible obstacle at the very beginning. Um, I was, you know, started with remedial classes because of the communication barrier. And it was at the time in the Bowling Green or Warren County where it was not very diverse. I could count on one hand how many people from a different country there were at my high school. I went to Warney's High School. And uh, that picture has changed drastically. So I went to high school at a time where there were no English as second language programs. And when the administrators and the school personnel guidance counselor were, you know, were looking at me as a new student, they didn't really know what to do with me uh, and with the language barrier or how to support me at the time. So that was incredibly difficult. And you mentioned that the school system didn't really know how to deal with your situation. Uh, When you were at home, how did you work on adjusting and getting acclimated to the language? Well, I'm, my mom was already an English speaker. She spoke three languages fluently, and so she was able to help out with, uh, with that. I didn't feel isolated in that sense because she was able to communicate. Um, and so we try to speak as much English as possible and learn that in that process. But it was really sitting down with a, with a dictionary in Spanish and English and translating everything. Uh, and, you know, they say kids pick up lang- second languages or, you know, another language quite rapidly. And I don't know how it happens, but it, it happened quickly without even realizing that I was learning. I just picked up the language. And what was it like trying to keep your identity that you had while in Venezuela as well as get acclimated to American culture and find out where you belong? Well, at, at, at first, you know, that um, it was sometimes it was aggravating when I was learning uh, to speak the language, but I still wanted to communicate in um, with my family in Spanish because the language was really the only thing that I could retain. Um, everything around me had changed, and so I didn't know how else to kind of keep my cultural identity. And it was difficult because there were a lot of people who were outwardly spoken and would say, you know, oh, you just should just speak English. And I would get very aggravated with folks whenever they would try to tell me not to speak in Spanish because that was my comfort zone. That was where I felt at home. And so for a long time, I struggled with the idea of, um, and I stopped really speaking Spanish for a long time, I mean, purposefully, but I've, I've picked that back up, you know, I've made it a focus because it's such a part of my identity. So that was really focusing on the language was the number one way to keep that cultural identity. And after spending those years in America, what finally urged you to become an American citizen? Yeah, so citizenship, you know, a lot of people think it's automatic um, that immigrating to the United States 
uh, leads to becoming a U.S. citizen. And really, it's not a it's a difficult process. It's a process that um, includes, you know, being first a legal permanent resident or green card holder. You have to be in the country as a legal permanent resident for a number of years. Generally, is between five to seven years that you can be uh, before you get eligible to apply for citizenship. And so um, it was a a decision that I had to come to terms with. And it it came about um, when my mom battled cancer. Um, It was a a period of time that was really difficult for our family. She was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer. And one of her biggest wishes for her children was to become U.S. citizens. I think my mom had made such a huge sacrifice to give us a better life. She wanted to ensure that our um, ability to remain in the country would be uh, protected regardless of the political situation or what happened. And so she thought the citizenship would be a way to ensure doing that. And she made me promise her that I would become a U.S. citizen. So that was definitely a motivator for me. And what was that journey actually like when you did embark on becoming an American citizen? How would you describe it? Well, you know, the process was daunting because um, the application, there is a cost involved. You know, there is about, uh, it was about $800 plus dollars just for the application fee, biometric fingerprinting that has to, that you have to do as part of the process. But um, the application itself was not necessarily difficult, but anything having to do with immigration can be very, uh, very nerve wracking because you don't want anything to be uh, incorrect. You don't want uh, an application to be rejected for some reason. And so I sought the assistance of the International Center of Kentucky to help me complete that paperwork. And um, so there was a fee associated with that. Overall, I think it was nearly $1,000 that I had to spend out of my own pocket. Um, and then, of course, being able to um, do the citizenship exam, which is a civic exam, and you get asked, uh, there are 100 total questions that you could potentially get asked, and you have to respond 7 out of 10 correctly. So um, that was, even though I had already felt like I had already obtained a degree uh, you know, so I was an educated woman. I was bilingual. I was still very nervous during my citizenship interview and testing. Um, just to being in front of an immigration officer was, for some reason, very nerve-wracking. And I thought, you know, at some point he's going to say, no, you don't qualify for citizenship and, uh, and ban me from the room. For some reason I had all these fears. So, so it's very... Um, very it's it can be a very difficult process and for many people but after that um you get to participate in an oath ceremony and that was an incredible moment being a part of that oath ceremony and saying that I'm officially a U.S. citizen that I make a commitment to the United States and that I now have the opportunity to vote I think the first time that I realized that I was now a voter and that I, I could exercise my my right to vote and have an opinion um, was a really um, was just a pivotal moment in my life. And if you can remember any part of that day, what were your emotions and how did you prepare to become an American citizen? 
Yeah, well, you know, the ceremony took place in Louisville, Kentucky at the public library. It was a beautiful setting. Um, it wasn't somewhere I was familiar with, but, um, and it was, I was surrounded by people that where I wasn't familiar with either. So, but my, my, my husband got to attend and my children were there. And uh, I just remember thinking how proud my mom would be uh, during that day uh, as I was called, my name was called out. And then they'd read the names of where the people are originally from. So trying to th- hear w- whether there were other people from my home country also there. Um, and I don't recall that was the case, um, but it was an incredible moment. I was very proud of myself um, during that ceremony and then feeling officially that I was at home. And in what ways has becoming an American citizen changed your life? Well, citizenship, you know, has meant a lot for me. Um, the I feel definitely protected in in many ways. I think there's always a fear that um, being a foreign-born individual living in a foreign country, that something is going to happen that takes away your rights to be a part of that country and that community. So citizenship has solidified that protection for me, and I hope that can be the case for many years to come. And uh, and then now, currently in in my job, you know, the focus of being able to help people become naturalized citizens and promote citizenship as an international community's liaison. I'm working with the foreign-born population, but I want I help. Uh, legal permanent residents who are eligible to become naturalized to really seriously consider naturalization as the next uh, natural step of committing their lives in this country, becoming civically engaged, becoming a part of city government, and wanting to connect with our city officials. Uh, And knowing that as constituents, as new constituents, we're part of voicing our opinion and that really um, out of all forms of government, local government is the one that we can feel most connected with because um, and where we can make the most difference as voters and as citizens. And so um, and so I've really made it a priority as part of my job to kind of push citizenship. And that's why we've started uh, a, an event, an annual event called the Reception for New Americans. And if someone is interested in coming to the event or being a part of it, what could they expect? Citizenship ceremony that happens. I had to travel to Louisville when I became a new citizen. And uh, and I recall, you know, being so excited, but not being able to really share with people that I knew. And uh, because, you know, Louisville is not a city I'm familiar with. And so coming back to Bowling Green, it was like, hey, I'm a new citizen, but... You know, there wasn't really a way to recognize my accomplishment. And so I um, decided to start this event to recognize newly naturalized citizens in the city of Bowling Green. Uh, And it consists of having a ceremony. It's a ceremony of accomplishment. People that have already been naturalized, have already gone through the oath ceremony and are officially U.S. citizens, are invited to come to an evening where the mayor and city commissioners get to congratulate them for their accomplishment. They receive a certificate signed by the mayor of Bowling Green. They have a photo opportunity with the mayor and city officials, and we get to officially congratulate 
congratulate them. And it serves as a perfect segue to connect them to city government services. There is a booth, a voter registration booth for those people who haven't registered to vote. And then um, for those citizens to be able to learn about the many services that the city of Bowling Green can offer. And just to be able to celebrate with their community here locally, the great accomplishment that they've been able to achieve. And for someone that has never been through the process, what is the value and the significance of becoming and pledging your honor to America? Uh, you know, I think it's an individual decision by all. I've seen people who are very eager, can't wait till the moment that they're eligible to apply for citizenship. I mean, they're just, there are some people who take longer in making that decision. I think um, the fact that they, they, some people have to give up their country citizenship in order to become U.S. citizens because their country may not uh, acknowledge uh, dual citizenship. And so that's, you know, that can be an internal struggle for some people. For others, it's a matter of also um, being able to still qualify for certain public benefits. I mean, believe it or not, there are some people who receive um, benefits like Social Security income. And if you don't become a U.S. citizen, you don't have the ability to claim those benefits after seven years of being in the country. So we have some older uh, foreign-born individuals who have come later on in life to the U.S. and who are receiving benefits like SSI. And those benefits are at risk of being terminated if they don't become. So for them, it's a matter of survival. I need to get my citizenship because otherwise I may not have an income to make it. Um, so everyone has a different journey, but ultimately I think the folks who are committed to making that step um, you know, do it for because they know that it's the right thing to do. And during your time as the international communities liaison, I'm sure you've met plenty of amazing people. Is there anyone in particular that sticks out that you've had a very special relationship with? Wow, you know, there are so many different people that I've had the pleasure of meeting hundreds of people in my work, people from different journeys of life, from tons of different countries that I didn't even exist. Uh, In particular, I've been really um, blessed to meet a a couple from Cuba. Uh, I met them... um, very soon after I started my work at the city five years ago, and there were a couple in their 60s who had been resettled as refugees in Bowling Green, and they had already, you know, were much older in life when they came to the U.S., and so their process of integration was very challenging, and so they sought my assistance uh, for a number of things, just to try, kind of navigate uh systems and learn how to how things worked in the United States and being here by themselves it was just it was very difficult and so today there are a couple that I um, come almost weekly to my office to seek assistance on very simple things even reading correspondence in another language and not knowing whether it's something important that they have to respond to and um, they have been uh, an incredible just just being able to assist somebody like them in making life simpler for them has been something that has really impacted my work. And there are hundreds of other stories I could say about people just like them um, that make my, my job day-to-day worthwhile. 
And how would you say the relationship between foreign-born citizens and those born in America, how do you see that interaction? Is it a good one, a good relationship between the two, or would you say it needs improving? Well, you know, um, oftentimes we refer, uh, a, we have this mentality of the us versus they, or us or versus those people, um, and really I think, you know, we share in this community together. We all have the same vision of living in a community where everyone can be successful and thrive, where all everybody's assets and, and skill sets are being uh, used as effectively as possible, you know. So I always have this mentality, we're all in this together. And so... Uh, oftentimes, it's just changing really the um, ability of, of people to, j I mean, the framework of thinking, you know, and so coming together in, instead of keeping groups of people separate, the us versus them mentality. Uh, and so when people start to realize, native-born citizens start to realize that the foreign-born population does have a path to citizenship and that they become active members of the community and they become voters. And so now it's about us working together um, to bring our community, to make our community a better place to live. Uh, and I think so, a lot of... Um, Education needs to happen because I I've, I've have the opportunity to talk to native-born Americans as well as foreign-born and do a lot of um, I do a lot of uh, discussions or talks uh, around the issue of integration and cultural competency and you always get you know that oh I thought you know people could just become citizens and you know the the lack of information there is about the foreign-born population in the immigration process and so bringing just bringing to light uh, how people in the journey for people in the United States and how important and critical it is to promote citizenship is part of bringing those groups of, of people between native-born and foreign-born together. And what does unity look like between the native-born and foreign-born uh, communities? How can we work towards that? Well, what does unity look like? I mean, it's it that's that's it's easier said than done. You know, um, how do we bring people together? I think there always has to be a, a willingness to learn, a willingness to accept that there are many ways of looking at the world. That your way of looking at the world isn't always the right way. Um, that there are many different frameworks and, and worldviews. Uh, oftentimes, and it's just that you know, putting yourself in that person's shoes and understanding that person's cultural reality. Um, people have expectations about what the foreign-born population should be able to do or not do when they come to the United States, but we don't always think about what it took for that individual to actually make it here and how resilient um, individuals have to be to even start a new journey. Just understanding that, um, you know, it took a lot for a certain person, even that Cuban couple, persecution or the, uh, or the th a thought that they could be uh, put in jail because of their belief or because of their willingness to help other people. Um, and but we have this expectation that they should be able to do something else uh, once they're in the United States. And so really leveling the playing field so that uh, everybody, the people who are here, uh, 
who have already been here, native-born, um, and to, to really understand that journey, to be able to make that connection so that they can say, you know, um, it is it is tough to start a new life in another country, and uh, we have to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so um, that's one way, just being able to understand uh, being able to be understanding of one another, bringing people together. Thank you for listening to Unity Podcast, a project by the WKU Talisman. New episodes are released every other week on iTunes, SoundCloud, and WKUTalisman.com. Join us next time as we speak to the co-founder of the Bowling Green Assembly Corvette Club about his passion for Corvettes.